Our Bible reading this morning it comes from part of Exodus chapter 24 and part of Exodus chapter 25. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people of the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it to the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of the Lord went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord spoke to Moses, said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And he let them, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Brilliant. Do you want to have those verses handy in front of you? Because um, we'll, be, we'll be looking at them over the next few minutes together as a church. And um, it comes across as quite a strange Quite a strange Bible passage, right, for a fifth anniversary. Maybe you're thinking it'd be something a bit more easygoing. Um, but what I, what I want to try and show you today through, through this verse, uh, these verses that Jeff just read for us, um, are four ways that God works, right? Four ways that God works. And um, I suppose when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about what God has been doing at Foundation Church for the last five years. And we'll see those four ways that God has been working. And you've probably experienced them as well. Um, but but he, he's been working like that, not just for five years at Foundation Church, but he's been working like this uh, for 2,000 years of the church. So there's nothing new there. In fact, this is the way that God has been, I suppose, interacting with people from the beginning. 
And so I hope this talk is going to be helpful for you. If you are, you know, if you're not a believer in Jesus just yet, but you're interested and you want to know what it's all about, I hope this will, will encourage you and just, just help to, to show you uh, the four ways that God works and start to understand him a bit better. Uh, maybe maybe um, you're, you're slightly different. You're coming here this morning. You're kind of looking into Foundation Church. You're not um, 100% sure about it yet, or you're just sort of learning a bit and, and figuring out whether this is the church for you to call home. And again, I hope, I hope to, to show you um, and, and challenge you that, that when we see these four ways that God is working, that you'll be stirred uh, to answer the call. And finally, if you're one of, one of, one of our regulars here at Foundation, uh, again, I just want to remind you of the goodness of God and, and the ways that he's been working. And when you identify those, uh, you, you'll just be encouraged and, and, and thankful for what he's done and also challenged to, to, um, to go further with him. So what are those four ways that God works? I'll give you them off, off the top. He works by calling. He works, number two, by cleansing. Number three, he works by communing. And number four, he works by commissioning, all right? Calling, cleansing, communing, and commissioning. So first of all, God works by calling people. Look down at verse 1 of our, you know, right at the top of chapter 24. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship me from afar. You see, before anything happens, any sort of interaction or what have you, uh, beyond that, it begins with God calling people, come to me. That's how he does it. He calls people to him. Any interaction begins with God's calling. He speaks first. He takes the first step. He initiates the relationship. It's all his idea. And just as we, we, we saw at the beginning, uh, God calls us to worship. And, and so that's why we mark that every Sunday when we come together as a church. He calls us to faith. Uh, he calls us to obey. But it always begins with God calling us first. That's how he works. And yet with every call, it's not just a shout into the vacuum, right, into the space. It's a call uh, to respond to. Right? He, he asks a question and we are required to answer it. And he says, uh, for example, in verse 3, we see the response here. Uh, God has called, you know, come and worship me. <clears throat> and then Moses, sort of on behalf of God, came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. God calls, but then our next step is to answer his call, right? it's to respond to his calling. We hear his voice and then we say, yes, Lord, you know, he, he speaks and then we obey. That's, that's our response, this call and response. We will do what you say. That's, that's, that's how it should be. And so this is, this is where faith begins, right? This is where faith starts. It starts by knowing and hearing God's voice and hearing him call to you. There's no faith unless you've heard God's voice. Um, and, 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 you know, this is, this is actually good news. By the way, this is very good news because, as we'll see in a few moments, it's actually dangerous to approach God on your own terms. Um, but beyond that, beyond that, um, the, the Bible never shows us people sort of wandering around trying to find God somehow. That, that's not how this works. The Bible always shows that it's God calling people to him, and he comes down to us. And so, so that means for you and for me, we don't have to, you know, commit ourselves to an endless 
lifetime of spiritual wandering around in the deserts, a spiritual quest. God is not hidden. Okay? He's not silent. God is there. And God speaks. And so it's up to, up to us to, to listen to his voice, to hear his call, and, and to, to answer what he's saying to us. At Foundation Church here, we, 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 we say that we are, are gospel-centered. And, and, and one, of the, one of the implications of being gospel-centered is it means that, that, that we're, we're a group of people who, who, who allow the message of the Bible to, to drive us. You know, we, 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 in the scripture, in the Bible, we hear God's word. We listen to his voice. And that's why Sunday gatherings are, are really important because someone gets up and reads the scripture and then explains it to us. And through that process, we're hearing God's voice spoken to us. But, you know, if you're, if you're new to the faith, or you know, if you're investigating what it means to be a Christian, you've got questions, um, that's perfect because that's exactly what this Alpha course is all set up for. It's set up for, for people just like you. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, we're going to start that at the end of this month. Uh, and Alpha is you know, really all about an opportunity to, to learn. It's an opportunity, opportunity to ask questions in a, in a relaxed atmosphere. So you can, you can sign up later if you want. But the first way the God works is by calling. Have you, have you heard his voice recently? Are you, are you even listening? Second, second way then that God, God works is through cleansing. Calling and then cleansing. And that's what's going on in verses 4 through to 8. We've got, we've got Moses going down and building an altar. He sets up these 12 pillars that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, people offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. And it says Moses took half the blood and threw it against the altar that he's just made. Then he read out the word of God. Then he threw more blood on the people. And he said to them, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. What in the world is going on with all this, you might ask? It's just very odd. Um, strange behavior indeed. Um, but suffice to say that once God calls you to him, calls us to him, there's a further step that needs to happen before we can encounter God, before we can access him, before we can know him. And that's where all this stuff comes in. You see, we have a, we have a huge problem. Israel had a huge problem. Um, there, there is a massive gap, a massive gap between God's and the rest of us, huge. I think of it like this. Um, God is, is the creator of all that is, right? All that is seen and all that is unseen, okay? It was his idea, it was his power, it was his work, he did it, he created everything that is. And one of the fancy terms for that is, you know, he's, he's transcendent, he goes beyond everything um, that, that, that we see and feel and experience. God is beyond that, he's over that, he's above all of that. And us, as, as, as people, as wonderful as we are, you know, um, and all the rest of it, humanity, we're created. He's the creator. We're the created, right? You know, we're, we're kind of restricted. We're a bunch of, uh, of carbon and a bit of water and a bit of nitrogen. Um, we're, we're very much 
restricted to our bodies and we've got a finite amount of time on this earth. Not only that, but we are a moral disaster. Each of us in this room, you're a moral disaster on your own. Welcome to church, everybody. You're a moral disaster. Uh, We are unholy uh, compared to God. God is holy. We are sinful. God is pure. Um, We have rebelled against God. We've disobeyed him. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against other people. And so the question remains, how can someone so holy, so wonderful, so transcendent, so other, and people like us, how can the two of them coexist? How, how can that gap be bridged? How can those two beings, if you like, come together? How can you come into the presence of God on your own? When we, when we look um, at the few passages before um, Exodus 24, we will realize that Israel, the, pe- you know, the, the, the people of God here, uh, Israel have already rebelled against God. Right? They haven't started well. They've just been released from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they're on their way to the promised land, and they've already rebelled against God. It's amazing. They do it almost automatically. Um, they, they, they are driven by fear when they should have trusted God. They were faithless when they should have trusted God. They rejected God's chosen leader when they should have trusted God. You just can't ignore that kind of behavior. They have gone against God, the Holy One, the Creator. He is holy and just and perfect and, 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 and beautiful. They are the opposite. They are unholy. They are unjust. They are rebellious. They are ugly. Just can't access God's presence like that without dealing with this huge problem. Something must be done to cover their guilt. Something must be done to cleanse their impurity. Some answer has to be provided somehow for this huge problem to be dealt with. And so that's where the blood comes in. That's, that's why so many animals are killed and stuff is splashed around. It's this blood here, um, even though it's very odd and very unusual for our ears, um, is, is the blood of an innocent animal that's been killed. Right? That's where the blood's come from. And that blood has been sprinkled on people. And do you know what that's saying? That, that's saying that this innocent life this clean blood be, be on me. That's what that's saying. Be on us as a people. Cover us. Clean us. That's why all this blood, that's why he was throwing it all over the people. And so to, to this generation here, to, to the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel here, God was satisfied to look at the blood of these animals, the innocent animals, And he was satisfied to apply that to his people. So when God looks at his people, even though they're rebellious, and even though they've done ugly, terrible things, and even though they've rejected him, he looks at that blood and he says, okay, I'll accept you as innocent. I'll I'll look at that blood and I'll see you as pure. As I mentioned a few moments ago here at Foundation, we say that we're gospel-centered. And another implication of that is that we are focused on the good news of Jesus, the gospel. 
Uh, we talk about the gospel a lot. We sing about it a lot. It, 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 it is the power um, that, that, that pushes us forward. It is the motivation for us doing what we do. And yet we are gospel-centered because ultimately we're cleansed by the gospel. We're, we're, we're made new by the gospel. Um, why, why is it so powerful? Why, why, is, why is the gospel so powerful? Why does it have that power, you might ask? Well, because the gospel is all about Jesus, isn't it? And, 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 and when Jesus went to the cross, he, he became that innocent sacrifice for us. Um, sometimes the Bible refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now you know why. Because you see what happens to the sacrificial lambs in this circumstance. It was killed, its blood was sprinkled. Jesus had no sin. And yet in the gospel, he literally bled for his people. He literally gave his life for his people. That's why we're gospel-centered. Um, so, so there's no bowls full of blood in this church. Um, there's no sprinkling of blood as you come in. There's none of that. But instead, through the gospel, through Jesus and his sacrifice, and through your trust in his sacrifice, your faith in him, that blood is applied to you. So I'm not going to get up with a bowl of blood and start sprinkling it on you, but through your faith in Jesus, his blood is applied to you. See that? You are sprinkled by his blood when you trust Jesus. You're cleansed by his blood when you trust Jesus. And do you know what? You, if you're anything like me, and if anything like the person sat next to you or behind you in, the, in this church, you are messed up. You are sinful. And you are rebellious. We all are in 101 different ways. It looks different for all of us, but trust me, that's why things are like they are out there in the world. And yet, when you trust in Jesus, when you, when you trust in what he did for you on the cross, God looks not at your sin and your rebellion and your ugliness and your mess. Instead, he looks at his son. He sees his blood on you. He sees his innocence on you. The perfect one on you. You are covered in his innocence and you're not defined by your guilt. When you trust in Jesus, you are cleansed by his perfection. You are not defined by your shame. When you trust in Jesus, instead of the ugliness of the things that have been done by you, to you, and the way that you feel, God sees beauty. That's why we're gospel-centered. That's, that's why we confess our sins every Sunday so that we can lay claim to this again and again as a, a community. That's why Jesus is the hero of every story we'll ever tell here at Foundation Church. And through faith and trust in him, that is yours. That is yours. So God works by calling us. He works by cleansing us. Thirdly, God works by communing with us. All right? That's a fancy word, I suppose, for being with us, coming to us. He communes with us. Now we're ready. 
We've been called and, and cleansed. Now we're ready. Now we're made ready by God for God's presence. Isn't that amazing? You don't make yourself ready. He makes you ready. He makes you fit for himself. And so he communes. He comes to you. We see this in verses 9 and 10. Moses and his brother Aaron and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, it says, went up and they saw the God of Israel. Let that sink in for a second. This, this moment, this experience, so sublime, so profound, right, so shattering that they, they couldn't describe what they saw. They could only describe the pavements under his feet, as it were, was a, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. I mean, how do you, how do you describe the indescribable? The best, the best you can do, right, is, is think of the most costly, choice, precious thing that you know of, and for them it would have been sapphires, maybe for us diamonds or something like that. And then you use it to describe the pavement that God walks on. That's what they were doing here. They saw with their eyes the God of Israel. The next bit is astounding. He did not lay his hand on these men. Do you remember we were talking a few moments ago about this chasm, this gap, right? This, this huge problem, this moral distance because of their sin and their mess and their rebellion, but yet God has cleansed them by, by choosing to see the innocence of the, the, the dead of the blood on them. So now because they've been cleansed, they can behold God. They can, they can actually rest easy in his presence. They can see him with their own eyes. We don't know what they saw. But I think it was likely that they saw God in human form. And God in the flesh, so to speak. They've already described the pavement that were under his feet. He clearly had feet in what they saw. I think it was God in human form. Meeting with them. Glorious resplendent, shot through with light, shining in the, the brilliance and the purity of his character, burning like a thousand suns that will blind you if you look straight at them. But what's more remarkable still is that they looked at God, they beheld God, and it says in verse 11, they ate and drank. They had a meal with the God of Israel. If you just take a step back for a, for a moment or two. Right, what we're seeing here in this whole section is, is, is a covenant, right? It's, it's a, a formal declaration between two parties, working out the terms together. It's something that would have been done fairly familiarly in those ancient times. We have various forms of it today, but not quite held in such significance as then. But when the covenant, you see, was agreed, and both parties says, yes, all this we will do, when, when the covenant was cut, so to speak, you know, cutting a deal, we still talk about that, it was sealed, and it was sealed with a meal. The two parties would have sat down together and had a meal together. 
Could it be that God in human form was eating that day with his people? That he was somehow joining with them in a meal? See, when God draws near, when he comes down to us, he, he, he will eat with you. And eating is a sign, of course, of acceptance. It's a sign of peace. It's, it's a sign of we are good together. There is nothing between us. We are good together. And so we see here God meeting us in a meal. And at Foundation Church, every, every, every week that we gather together, we have a covenant meal together. We commune with God. Coming together with God is, is sat right there. The bread and the wine, this ordinary stuff that you can find on the shelves in Tesco's, and yet this is a powerful moment when we come to the bread and the wine. Because what's happening is, rather like what we see here, we're, we're eating with God. Christians have done this since the time of Christ. And what happens when we come and we eat the bread, and we drink the wine, and we take it into our bodies, and we chew it over and it nourishes us, God is saying... You and me, we're good. We're at peace. There is nothing that's going to come between us. That's what happens when you take that bread and wine. That's what happens through Jesus. His body broken, his blood poured out. God meets us in a meal. Isn't that incredible? He communes with us. He communes with us through an ordinary meal, but also, we'll see in a few moments, he communes with us through these sort of extraordinary experiences of his presence. You know, these mountaintop experiences, so to speak. And we see that in verses 15 through to 18. Um, Moses is, is called up into the cloud. God, God you know, um, comes in his sort of presence, I suppose, on the top of Mount Sinai. Um, it says there, the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of God dwelt on the top of that mountain. It was the presence of God, and, and Moses is called further in to God, right? Deeper in. There's, a, there's more calling on him. God effectively says to Moses, I want you to know me. I want you to experience more of me. Come up into my presence even deeper. Many years ago, I, I took a trip up Ben Nevis, um, which is a rather large mountain in Scotland. And uh, I was, at the time, I used to live in Scotland for seven years, and me and my flatmate thought it would be a good idea. One day, it looked quite sunny, we'll go up Ben Nevis. Our other flatmate, who cho chose not to come with us, told us it would be about four hours. So we thought to ourselves, great, we'll get up and back in time for lunch. What he did not say, he was Italian, so maybe he was lost in translation, it's four hours up and then four hours back if you're fit, uh, of which I was not. So um, it took us all day. I was absolutely exhausted. My legs were like jelly. But when we got to the top of Ben Nevis, I was expecting to see a glorious vista of all of Scotland and even seeing across to Ireland and goodness knows where. It was going to be beautiful. I had it in my mind. But do you know what happened when I got to the top of Ben Nevis after four hours of, 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 uh, of pain and toil? A cloud descended, and I couldn't see a thing. Uh, and there was probably quite a few people on the top of Ben Nevis by the time we got there. I wasn't really for talking to them, to be honest, but I, I, I could imagine they were there. Um, this cloud descended, and it came so fast, so quick. And before I knew it, what was quite a nice, lovely, sunny day, a nice, pleasurable walk up Ben Nevis, like you do, 
suddenly surrounded by this cloud. I could not see my feet. I could not understand my location. The, 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 the sun was blotted out. It was all of a sudden rather cold. And when this cloud kind of filled the, the area, that when I you know, was in the cloud or whatever with all these other people, you just feel the heaviness of the cloud upon you. Right? It's just how it feels. Uh, the weight of the cloud, obviously the moisture uh, carried in, in, in that vapor form. And, and effectively what you're doing is you're sort of breathing in the clouds, you know, highly, highly uh, moisture rich, and you're breathing out the clouds. Sometimes God visits us in extraordinary ways. Sometimes he surrounds us with his presence in extraordinary ways. This weight, his glory will visit you. His presence is thick. It is heavy. It is simultaneously profoundly fearsome and also deeply comforting. He will do that. He will do that from time to time. He will visit his people in power in this way. And sometimes when he does that, he imparts power to his people. He imparts gifting to his people, all sorts of things. But often he chooses to visit his people in these amazing and profound ways simply because he wants to call them deeper to himself. He, he, he's saying to them, come and know me. Come and, come and experience more of me. Sometimes he does that. He communes with his people in these special, incredible ways. Before we move on, though, do you notice that to Moses, God's presence was a cloud? But to those who sort of stood far off, it says in verse 17, what do they see? They didn't see a cloud. They, they saw fire. Devouring, consuming fire. To those who were far away, God's presence looked dangerous. It was destructive. Steer clear of that because that will hurt you, is what they thought. Same God, the same occasion, startlingly different responses. And here at Foundation Church, we, we again, we say we're gospel-centered, but we're spirit-empowered. Doesn't mean we're better than any other type of Christian. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is we are aware of the ways that God chooses to commune with his people. And we're aware that, that, that ordinarily he chooses ordinarily to, to commune with his people through, through, through his word in scripture, uh, through the ordinary black and white on the page, through the bread and through the wine and through the water of baptism. That's how he communes with his people. But as we've been seeing here, God also communes in extraordinary ways, right? With signs and, and wonders, for the gifts of the Spirit, power encounters, as some people have described it. In fact, um, we, we, we did a mini-series just before Christmas called When You Come Together. And so if you want to you know, learn a bit more about our, our, our perspective on these things, go back onto uh, the podcast or the website and you'll see there's a uh, series of six talks on exactly that subject. Before we move on, though, I just want to say, when you look towards God, when you look towards God, do you see a cloud or do you see a fire? When he, when he calls you, will you enter deeper in? Or will you keep your distance for fear that he might burn you? 
four ways that God works. We've seen um, number one, calling, number two, cleansing, number three, communing, fourthly, then and finally, God works by commissioning. Where do we see that? Well, in verse 18, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights up in the presence of God, hearing his voice. God was speaking to him, and as he was doing that, he was passing on uh, to Moses the terms of the covenant, you know, the, the teaching, the Torah, uh, to his people. And effectively, what God was doing at that point was, was calling his people to, to mission. He was defining their purpose and, and what they're to do for him. And their purpose is this, in verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Make me a home that I might live with them. That was their purpose. That was their, their mission. I, I've been up there in, in Sinai, but my, my real desire is to be down there with my people, to live among them, to be close to them. And so it's their job to um, build my home. And so to, the, to achieve that, to that purpose, to that, those ends rather, they are to take a, a contribution. You know, they've been called, they've been cleansed, God has communed with them, he's commissioning them, all of that is of God, it's all that has been done to them, not by them, and yet their response here is what matters. Because when they see what God has done, it moves their hearts. And so they give, they contribute, they, they, they join the mission that God has called them to. And their mission is to build a dwelling place so that God can live among his people and so his people can therefore be a light to the nations. They can show his goodness. They can, they can demonstrate his glory to all people by living for him, by following his ways. They can reflect his justice to the nations by the way they live. They can reflect his mercy to the nations by the way that they live. They can reflect his kindness to the nations by the way they live. You see all this stuff here about Israel and, and receiving God and all that. It's not so they can hold on to God and have him as their own. You can't do that with God. Instead, the whole world needs to hear. They need to come and they need to know this God. And it was their mission, it was their job to demonstrate him to the nations. And so at Foundation Church, we say that we are gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, covered that already, but we're a community on mission. You know, we're, we're a community of people, we're together, and our mission is to build the dwelling place of God and be a light to the nations. In fact, that's the same mission that the church has had for the last 2,000 years, nothing new with us. We're just one little expression of that great mission. But this is important for you to know, especially if you're new to church, not from a church background or, or whatever, maybe just looking in afresh. What we're, what we're not talking about here, when we're talking about building a dwelling place for God, we're not talking about building a temple, and like a bricks and mortar. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about any form of building, really, in terms of what you see externally. Because according to the Bible, the sanctuary, the place of, of God's dwelling is his people. You know? uh, we are where God lives. We just happen to be inside a building this morning as, as we do that. Otherwise, we're, we're known as the body of Christ. And so it's our mission to, to build the dwelling place of God and to be a light to the nations. That's what we're here for. If you're, if you're looking in uh, to foundation, sometimes you might, you, might, you might think that we look a bit like a hospital. 
a place where the hurt and the wounded can come. And indeed, that's true, where they can receive health, they can receive healing, they can understand and experience the, the, the restoring power of Jesus. At other times, you might look at Foundation Church and you might think it looks more like a classroom where, where, where you can come and learn and come and grow and come and know Jesus and hear his word and, and grow in your understanding of the faith. And that's, that's true as well. But one thing we cannot forget as we look in a foundation is that more often than not, we will appear to be a command center, you know, a tactical command center, a place where we plan and execute forays into the kingdom of darkness with the gospel in our mouths and the spirit in our hearts so that we might push back the darkness and bring the light and victory of Jesus to our needy world. That's what we're here to do. That's our mission. And when this happens, lives are transformed, Jesus is glorified, and new disciples are recruited to join the mission that they were made for, which is to be a light to the nations. Glorify God. God works by commissioning his people Let's finish then with three practical steps that you can take to receive your commission. Three practical steps you can take to uh, take your place in the mission of God. Number one is this. If you haven't already, your first step in all of this is to give your allegiance to Jesus. Okay, give your allegiance to Jesus. That means trust that what he did on that cross that day, he did it for you. It starts here. Jesus gave his life for you. He covered you. He cleansed you so that you can commune with God. And so if you want to enter the mission of God that he calls you to, if you want to answer the call, first of all, give allegiance to Jesus. Give yourself to him. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never taken a decisive break with your old life, so to speak. And yet you'll say to yourself maybe this morning, when I see what Jesus has done, and when I see that he did that for me, then I will give my life for you, to serve you. Step number one, give allegiance to Jesus. We'll pray to that end uh, at the end as well. You can maybe um, pray with me for that. Second thing then we can do is establish connection to the church. Second practical step, Establish connections to the church. Here at Foundation Church, we operate a system called church membership. Uh, it's where you are a member of the church. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. But for us, church membership is, is a way of publicly saying, this is my place. These are my people. This is my family. We serve together. Right? They will love me. I will love them. I will serve them. They will serve me. And so if you have no connection as yet with any church... then my challenge to you is to put your roots down. And uh, we'd love that to be here at Foundation Church. We'd love you to come and join us on mission here at Foundation. And there's, there's another sheet to sign up as well. Uh, we've got the Alpha course here. On the other side, we've got membership. And again, you're not, you're not committing to membership. You're just signing up for more information. And uh, so you can do that this morning as well. If you want a little more information, if you want to walk through next steps or even talk about what it looks like to, to be a member here at Foundation, stick your details down there and I'll, I'll get in touch with you and we'll, we'll talk and get through next steps. However, I would say this as a disclaimer. 
If you want to sit back in a church, if you want to find a nice, comfortable church to just chill in, if you basically want to sort of consume religious services, then may I politely say, this church is not for you. There are plenty of good churches out there that you can sort of blend into the background and just sit and consume like you're going to the cinema. That's your choice. But this is not one of those churches because we're a community on mission. This is a place where you can come and link arms, pull your resources together, join the community on mission. So if you feel God is calling you to put your roots down, then again, please come and sign up. Talk to me afterwards. I'd love to walk through next steps. Third and final practical step here, contribute to the mission. Contribute to the mission. See there in verse 2, chapter 25, take the contribution, said God, but it's not law. From every man whose heart stirs him, you shall receive the contribution. Contribute to the mission if your heart stirs you. People, your giving is a marker of your understanding of the gospel. So give what you have. Your time, your talents, you know, your abilities, your treasure. You can do all that here at Foundation. We need that in order to serve the mission that God has called us on. If you look at Jesus and, and realize that he has done much for you, then your heart will be stirred much if you look at Jesus and think, well, he's done little for you, then your heart will be stirred little. Contribute to the mission. God has been doing these four things for the last 2,000 years. He's been calling, he's been cleansing, he's been communing, he's been commissioning. He's been doing those things for five years here at Foundation Church Belfast. And, and we stand here on the, on the edge of our sixth year, looking to the f- future. And we say together, come Lord, come and have your way. Come and do even more among us. Let us be a light to the nations for the glory of God.